Seeking Sustainability Live. I am JJ Walsh in Hiroshima, and today I have the amazing Robert Yellen in Kyoto. Joining us from the Robert Yellen Yakimono Gallery. Thank you so much, Robert. Hi, everyone. <laughs> now, Robert, I was talking to you about this before we started, but I first interviewed you last year in wow. August. Wow. And your video, that first interview, has been my most viewed video on YouTube. Wow. Almost wow. over 2,000 views now. So oh. there is a lot of interest in your wonderful stories about potters in Japan, about the heritage of Japanese pottery and ceramics. You've got so many great stories. I asked you how you would describe yourself. I would call you a curator, but you're much more than that. You're like a historian, a detective, an art lover. And you just described yourself to me as a song and dance man. <laughs> well, that's, um, you know, the, the, the retort that Dylan said when somebody asked him in the 60s, do you see yourself as a folk singer or a poet or a rock singer? You know, um, it's hard to label oneself. So a lot of people, you know, put labels on me from the outside, you know, this or this or that. And I'm like, oh, really? Okay, well, that kind of fits into the umbrella that I hold. But I'm not particularly a fan of labels. You know, I'm just in search of beauty and trying to share that with people. And of course, you know, when you look at Japanese ceramics, you, you better look at history. So yeah, there's a historical aspect, historian aspect of it. But I'm like a, a treasure hunter, you know, trying to share that with people. Um, you know, as I've said before, Japan has such great traditions and uh, we want to support living artists in, in this culture. And somebody that you might want to interview, Joy, his name is Steve Vimel, and he just started this award uh, contest called Japan Craft 21, because so many of these crafts, or fine art, in fact, you know, lacquerware, they're, they're dying because of um, the changing population. Uh, and what I want to do in my own small way is, is to support living artists uh, so that these traditions can continue because they've inspired so many people throughout the centuries. It would be a shame if they disappeared, which many of them are on the verge of doing. So that's kind of my job as well, uh, to support living artists. But anybody out there, um, go to Japan Crafts 21 and you can help support carpenters, uh, glass artists, uh, textile artists, um, uh, lacquerware, any type of craft you can imagine. Um, Japan Crafts 21 is, is trying to support. In my, in my own small uh, focus, it's on ceramics. That's great. And I had the chance to visit your beautiful new studio uh, last autumn. And uh, you introduced me to so many interesting artists' work that you were ha uh, had on display in the gallery then. And I realized, looking at your Instagram page recently, that you have a lot of different collections that you move around and so many different stories. At the moment, you have such an interesting collection from Yasuko Hoshitada. Can you tell us a little bit about her? Yeah, so, you know, um, I was introduced to her daughter, whose name is Maniko-san, uh, via uh, an art dealer in the Cleveland area named Michael Byrne. 
So Michael Verne uh, runs a print painting gallery focusing on Japanese art. Uh, the gallery's been around for about 60 years. So Michael contacted me and he said this lady uh, has a garage full of boxes of ceramics and she doesn't know what they are or their value and would you be interested to see and discuss and possibly represent them? And I said, sure. So I got in touch with Monico and uh, she would send me files and files and files of photos, JPEGs, uh, a very, quite frankly, mixed collection uh, that her mother created. Um, but there were some very choice pieces, which I have a catalog of. If anybody would like it, they can just email me at robert at japanesepottery.com. I'm happy to share the catalog of the pieces that I selected, and I'll show you some of them in a moment. Uh, one of them is going to be going to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. So that's kind of, uh, you know, the top of the, the, the selection that she had. And Yasuko Tada, uh, well, she was born Yasuko Hoshi, and her father... Uh, was a pretty well-known person named uh, Hoshi Hajime. So the, the father was named Hoshi Hajime, and he was a, a rare Japanese individual in that in the, around 1902-1904, he went and studied at Columbia University in New York. So he came back to Japan with a lot of knowledge about overseas politics and medicine, uh, and he became like uh, the drug lord of, um, of the Taisho 1920s, 1930s and started a pharmaceutical company called Hoshi Pharmaceutical Company and then also founded uh, something called the Hoshi University. So they were a well-heeled family with lots of connections. Uh, but around 1960, uh, Yasuko-san moved to New York and her daughter Maniko-san was born there. But every summer they would come back and visit Japan and uh, Maniko would be left with the grandmother, the doting grandmother, and Yasuko-san would travel throughout Japan visiting these various artists. And um, they were the who's who of the minge world, the folk craft world. So she was friends with Hamada Shoji, she was friends with Shimoka Tatsuzo, uh, she was friends with the Kawaii family here in Kyoto. And they exchanged lots of correspondences, letters, and um, uh, postcards. So I got those letters and postcards, too. And it's amazing to see uh, a letter from 1961 addressed to Yasuko-san in New York City by Yanagi Soetsu, the founder of the Minge movement, uh, advising the, the, the mother how to name the daughter. So the daughter didn't even know about that, the, the content of this letter. So I showed her the letter. I'm saying, look, Yanagi, Yanagi Soetsu is advising your mother on the kanji to name you. And look, here's Mani and here's Mani. And I'm going, this letter is so important because it shows how you were named. So, you know, this discovery that we're sharing with her. Um, and so, you know, uh, I selected these pieces over a, a number of months. I've, I've given the letters to the Kawaii family. And I will present letters and uh, correspondences to the Kaneshige family. So in Bizen, the most famous family is the Kaneshige family. And uh, the first living national treasure of Bizen was Kaneshige Toyo. He passed away in 67. And in the, 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 not only the letters, but these life photos 
that Monique Hosan sent me, there's a photo of her as a little girl with her older brother uh, at the Kanishige family house. So it must be 1966 or so. Uh, and, and, you know, these are, these are treasured photographs uh, that show a relationship uh, in time of this woman, Yasuko-san, and how she approached and shared Japanese ceramics and collected them. The unfortunate thing, though, is, is that, like many people, they don't talk about the past. Uh, Maniko-san was never really told about these pieces, who made them, how they were obtained, and so on. So, for example, we have a, a Noguchi Isamu mask, which is, you know, an incredible piece of historical art that he made uh, in 1952 when he visited the Kanishige family. And we've found, you know, I've been finding out about these other masks because there's a, a press mold and then maybe about seven or eight of these masks were made uh, and then presented to the Kanishige family. So she must have gotten it either from Kanishige or from Noguchi himself. Uh, but we're not sure. It's, it's kind of a mystery. So that's the prime piece in the, in the collection. There's some other interesting works I can walk over and show you in a minute. But yeah, um, I'm very honored uh, to be able to share the story uh, of this incredible family uh, and Maniko's generosity uh, to share with me her life story because it's very personal. And, you know, there's a lot of emotions, obviously, that are involved when uh, a parent passes away and you're letting go of, of things that they've lovingly acquired over their lifetime. So one of the reasons she contacted me via Michael is that she didn't want just the, you know, uh, the, the local recycle center to get them or to put them up on eBay or, or places like that where there'd just be these shark hunters trying to, you know, get a bargain or this. I told her there's a, a really important story around these works and just to put them up on the net without the story is disservicing uh, dishonoring your mother so we want to honor your mother and and the friendships that she uh cultivated over the years and that's what we did and you you have such great connections to the local pottery families that you've actually been going back and forth with some of the families asking them if they can place some of the pieces and doing a bit of detective work to deepen the story about these pieces, which I find so fascinating, so interesting. It, it is. And, and I, I'm in awe, you know, I'm in awe all the time. I'm basically in constant awe, you know, we, we are, we're doing this, you know, the sun rises, like I'm in con constant awe, but, um, yeah, you know, uh, I, I showed the letters to the Kanishige family and they were like amazed. There was even one postcard addressed to Toyo's younger son. Uh, I mean, not addressed to, but written by Toyo's younger son, uh, or first son called um, Michiaki Sensei. He's in heaven now. But he wrote to Yasuko-san about how he was doing woodblock prints as like a hobby. And the family never knew that. So I... Um, showed the, the postcards, obviously, and they're like, this is amazing. We, we now discovered something about our, you know, I, I showed them to a, 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 one of the family members named Kanishige Junpei, who is Michiaki's nephew. Uh, and he studied in Brooklyn. He's got a great Instagram page, Kanishige Junpei. And uh, Junpei told his father, Michiaki's brother, 
and they were amazed. They, they discovered something new about their family member that they never knew via this one postcard. So I'm going to be going down to Bizen uh, within a couple of weeks or so and present them with these uh, correspondences. I think the family should have them. Uh, the same goes for the Hamada family. Hamada Shoji was a, you know, probably the most famous Japanese potter outside of Japan ever, uh, founding one of the founding members of the folk craft movement and also um, uh, a living national treasure. And there's lots of correspondences between the family as well. And if you get the catalog, you'll see some of these personal photos from them. I also researched about these masks. So uh, it seems that only the Kanishige family has them. And so I went in search of them. So I went out to Mie Prefecture, uh, where Kanishige Moto lives. He's the youngest of eight children of Kanishige Toyo, and he has a mask. Then I went to uh, Kameoka, which is right outside of Kyoto, and I found a mask in the collection of Deguchi uh, Koitaro. And the Deguchi family are cousins of the Kanishige family, and they started um, a religion based on art called the Omoto Foundation. So if you go online, O-O-M-O-T-O, uh, that's his last name. And, you know, they were like some of the um, movements or, or religions founded in the 20th century. They were based on bringing uh, uplifting spirit to humanity through art and your connections with art and those connections with supreme beings, if you want to call them, or, or just simply nature. Uh, so he has a mask. Uh, so I went down there to see it. And th there's another mask, actually, Joy, in Hiroshima. Another one of the cousins has a mask. So um, I'm going to go down there when I'm able to as well to still see how, um, you know, the connections are between this. Oh, I wonder if I could, I could accompany you if you're in Hiroshima and just take photos and observe and be in awe of what you're doing. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. And then I want you to take me to your favorite okonomiyaki restaurant. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Um, so I, I think I'm showing the mask now. Uh, Noguchi Isamu, is it? Correct. And you were you were saying in the Instagram uh, video that you did about having it made from a mold, and you were investigating the mold in that different families have. That was yeah. Um, I'm going to run across the room and grab a book. Hold on. Okay. Um, I'll be right back. So this is a really important book in my field. Um, it was written by the esteemed scholar Louise Court. It's called Noguchi, Isama Noguchi and Modern Japanese Ceramics, A Close Embrace of the Earth. So Louise Court has written many, many books uh, about uh, Asian ceramics, in particular Japanese ceramics. And on the cover of this book is one of the masks and the famous Walk of Mr. Samsa by Yagi Kazuo, the, one of the founders of the very important Kyoto Sodesha movement, founded after World War II, that uh, turned Japanese ceramics world upside down because everything they made was non-functional. It was very sculptural. And this particular piece was uh, named after a character in a Kafka novel, Metamorphosis. So, you know, it really expanded how ceramics were viewed 
not just as a functional rice bowl, but now something, you know, artistic and sculptural. So it was a very important piece. So on, on these, on this book, that's what we see. And then it talks about the life of uh, Noguchi, who, of course, many of you know, was an incredible artist, a great link between the East and West. Um, he was born to a Japanese father and I believe an American mother uh, and uh, came to Japan in the 1950s uh, and stayed with the famous artist Rosanjin in Kamakura. And Rosanjin knew the Kanishige family, so they went down to the studio and worked there in 1952. And um, Noguchi made the, the mold, so that white piece at the top, that's the actual mold. And you would impress clay into the mold, uh, pull out the, the, the finished piece, um, then kind of carve it a bit, and then you get this piece. Now, so, this, this seems in real contrast to the whole Minge movement, because Minge is, hmm. is kind of practical folk art. It wasn't really intended to be art. It was intended for use. But this is obviously, this is not for use. This is for decoration. This is art, right? Very, very much so. It's, it's as far away as Minge as you can get. Um, it's, it's sculpture. Uh, it's for display. Um, but this one guy in Hiroshima, he said when he was a little boy, it kind of scared him. So he would like shoot, you know, like BB gun darts at it or something. It was like, no, that's not what you should do with that. But um, it seems that the piece was given as presents to the Kanishige family for their kindness to Noguchi. And one of the interesting things also is that it's not signed. Uh, there are very few ceramic pieces in existence. He mostly worked in stone and, of course, washi paper with his famous Akari. But some of the ceramic pieces actually have the hiragana of no signed on them. Uh, because he was actually there in the studio when they were drying. But he gave the mold to the Kanishige family. One of the brothers told me that Michiaki is the person who pressed the special bizen clay into the mold, pulled it out and carved it, and then they fired about seven or eight, as I said, and somewhere uh, months later, Noguchi went or they were shipped back, and that's how they got them. So that's why they're not signed with that. That's so interesting. And you mentioned that this piece is not the one on the cover, even though it looks like it. It looks, it's made from the same mold, but it's not the identical piece, is it? Exactly. Um, I hope, um, let me run across the room again. I'll get the mask. Okay. Okay. Keep talking, John. All right. So, so if, you, if you haven't followed Robert's uh, Instagram page or Facebook page or seen his website, he has so much information there. He also has an older website, which is like an amazing glossary of everything ceramic and pottery in Japan that you would ever want to search for. You can also see Robert's articles that he's written over the years um, on that linked website. So I'll put those links below. Definitely. Thank you. If you're holding the mask. Let's yes, see. and th thank you for the, the information to folks. Yes. So, you know, the, the clay is this very special Bizen clay that the Kanishige family has. Um, you can see on the mask I'm holding, for example, uh, there's a little white stone burst on the nose there. Oh, and on the cover, you'll notice that it's not there. So, uh, even though they're the exact same mold, there are subtle, subtle differences uh, in the thickness of the piece, 
the way the ear is in, in, a, in a subtle way. Yeah, a little bit different. Slightly different. So, um, and you said this piece is designated for the Metropolitan Gallery in New York, is it? We are in uh, discussions, basically in the final discussions. Uh, you know, Noguchi, uh, he has his museum out in, the, I think, Long Island, the Noguchi Foundation. And um, they at the Met have many pieces of Noguchi, and he actually made a water fountain in the Japanese. Uh, section of the museum, but they don't have any ceramics. So this would be the first ceramic piece they would get. And uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're finally, we're in the final stages of uh, sending this out. I'm working with a shipping company right now. And, you know, the wonderful kind of circle of life, so to speak, is that Maniko, who now lives in New York, uh, now lives in California, she was born in New York. And right around the corner from the Met. And she said when she was a little girl, she would go splash in the fountains and, you know, pick up coins because she didn't have any money and go buy a cheeseburger or something. <laughs> and so it's a wonderful homecoming of sorts that this mask is, is fully circling the globe from Bizen to Tokyo, to New York, to California, back to Japan and now its final resting piece, so to speak, so that people can enjoy forever, as long as, you know, we're around as humans at the Met. It's fantastic. Yeah, really exciting. You also had another uh, interesting piece that came from your gallery and is now in the Victoria and Albert Museum in London. So you've, you've got all these wider connections than you realize with the work that you've been doing in Japan over these years. It's wonderful. It must be so exciting to see that happen. It's, it's very um, exciting and humbling, you know, cause it's, it's not about me. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to share these stories of these amazing craftspeople, artists, uh, potters, ceramic artists, whatever label, uh, I'm just a little window in, into this fascinating world. Um, and when a piece ends up in a museum, of course, the, the, the artists are incredibly grateful and honored. They put that on their todeki, you know, their ceramic history paper. And so, like so many things in Japan, once something becomes accepted overseas, a lot of Japanese kind of reflect on what they have. And so hopefully that'll be happening with the ceramic art as well. But yeah. The downside, though, of uh, having a tea bowl in a museum is that it's like a prisoner because it's supposed to be held, it's supposed to be used, it's supposed to be caressed and appreciated. And when it's behind a glass window in a case, it's like this famous writer said uh, about a tea bowl in a glass window. It's like having this, this intense itch that you cannot scratch. It's very frustrating. Um, but at least people who view it can go online, uh, contact me, they can get a piece by the artist, uh, and uh, that um, itch will be a leave. But yeah, uh, it, it's this beautiful red fire dancing tea bowl by Yamada Kazu, and he's based out in uh, Fukui, in Eichizen. Yeah, gorgeous. Um, let's go back a little bit to that that difference between the Minge folk art and being an artist and signing your work. 
You mm. had a really interesting example. Um, is it Tomikichi who broke from the Minge movement because uh, Tomimoto Kenkichi because he wanted to sign his work as an artist? I thought that was so interesting. Yeah, well, you know, this movement, you always have uh, somebody at the top of any movement. Um, and the Minge Katsudo or the, the folk craft movement, you know, the founding member, the leader, the, the guy who set the rules was Yanagi Soetsu. And as I mentioned, he was um, friends with uh, Yasuko Tada, Yasuko Hoshi. Um, but he had, you know, very demanding ways of how his movement will be approached. And one of them was, you won't sign your work. And Tomimoto, you know, an incredible artist with brushwork of, you know, in, in, in intense skill and divinity, he said, malarkey, you know, I'm an artist, I'm going to sign my work. And over the years, um, he had so many different signatures on his pieces. Uh, so he just left. I mean, that's one of the reasons. I don't know if there was a class, clash of personalities or they had some words between them. I don't know. But what I do know is that Yanagi said, you can't sign your work. So that's why Hamada, uh, in, his, in his early, early years, there are some rare pieces where Hamada Shoji actually has a stamp. Kawaii Kanjiro um, in his early years had a stamp too. But uh, after the Minge movement was founded in the 20s, then that uh, no longer was part of what they did. And one of my, one of my utmost favorite uh, Mashiko potters, of course, the Mashiko style of pottery uh, up in Tochigi Prefecture, north of uh, Tokyo, where Hamada lived, was a guy named Murata Gen. And Murata Gen studied with Hamada Shoji and is my personal favorite. But he was ostracized by the folk craft movement. You don't see any of his work at the folk craft museum in Tokyo because he signed his work. Even though it's all functional work, it's beautiful tea bowls and sake vessels and flower vases. But, you know, he wanted to sign his work. So uh, he was ostracized, blacklisted, so to speak. That's really interesting. Um, you also mentioned the mystery, the Bizen mystery, that you have some of the plates that you're not sure, maybe because they're not signed, uh, who made them or where they're made in. And you're in communication with the Kaneshige family to try that's, to work out. Is that, that right? Yeah, that's correct. So um, those little plates are right here. And the only kiln studio that we know that Yasuko-san visited was the Kanishige family. And they're so professionally well thrown. Um, the Kanishige family thinks the father might have done them as like just quick one-offs as, as gifts. Uh, so when I do go down to visit the family, I will be taking these with me. Yeah. And you do have some which must be signed. You have a Kaneshige Toyo Bizen jar. Is that? Well, yeah, he did sign his work with a little kind of a line with a little edge on the side. Like a katakana to? Exactly. So, oh. and he changed the toe over the years. And you can actually, I have a book I can show you that shows the different variations. This one's kind of thick and stubby. And this one is kind of slender and longer. Oh, yeah. 
So they were made at different periods. And this is actually, um, where's the Tomimoto piece? This is, a, well, this is a Bernard Leach piece. Yeah, that was interesting stories about the plate and the, with the ship on it as well. Unfortunately, uh, it, it broke. Uh, it is low-fired Raku wear. Um, and uh, there's a similar piece in the uh, museum in Moscow. It says Bernard Leach Fessid Islands of Enchantment, you know, made by, and of course the Islands of Enchantment referred to Japan and England, where Bernard Leach is from. And on the ship, there's this christening of it called Nancy Bell, which um, somebody at the, uh, the Crafts Study Center in Britain uh, showed me was from a poem from 1866. There's a line in it with this name, Nancy Bell. Uh, unfortunately, the ship got shipwrecked and led to cannibalism, <laughs> which is really wild. And then on the back of the plate, here's a nice letter somebody wrote me, um, is the year it was made. Wow. 19, 1919. Wow, that is really old. Look at you holding it with your bare hand. You, you know, I've held so much pottery that I'm very comfortable. And people are always, well, gosh, you know, it's so expensive, like this beautiful teacup by Kawaii Kanjo. Oh, I don't want to pick it up. Well, you know, if you're conscious and your mind is present, um, then nothing will happen. It's when you drift off into other thoughts that you might, you know, trip or, you know, hit it on the kitchen sink. But these pieces bring consciousness into your moment, and then they will bring you great, great joy. Um, you know, nobody's nervous when they're holding an eraser, you know, or, or and if it breaks, it breaks, you know, that's, that's the fate of the work, but the beauty, the beauty comes through using it. That's called yo no bi. This cup Definitely. has that, that, and that's, that. That's similar to what you said about it being a prisoner in a museum, that it's, it's sad, that it's not in use, that it's not in the world being loved. Exactly. It's loved in a different uh, way, but it's not loved in the way the potter intended it to be loved. Um, so yeah, in, in that respect, it's true. Um, now let's let's talk about what what you have been doing for pieces that are damaged in all the shipping around the world. So you mentioned a few pieces had been repaired. You have a local kintsugi expert who helps you with that. Is that right? Yeah, um, there's a couple of people I use. Um, thankfully, uh, no pieces break when we send them, so that's a good thing. Uh, we're very careful, obviously, with packing. Um, with and and Chihiro gets fan letters for her packing, you know it's it's amazing. It's an artwork, and she's a true artist. So, yeah, nothing nothing gets broken from our transit. Now, what happens on the other side, I don't know. I mean, I had a client once uh, who loved to, and I probably told you this story before, but he loved to see his favorite Yunomi teacup in the morning sitting on the windowsill greeting him for another day, the shadow, the sunlight streaming through. And one day he uh, dropped it and it broke into a few pieces. I got this email. I could sense the tears. And I said, Chuck, 
don't worry about it. Just send it back. I'll have Mr. Takahashi do his magic. So he sent it back. We had it kintsugi-ized, and there were these threads of gold. And we sent it back to Chuck, and he was overwhelmed with joy. Uh, he said, this is amazing. I'm going to break everything I have so I can have more kintsugi. And I advised him against that because there are people now, kintsugi is very popular in the world and people intentionally break pieces. I don't think that's a good idea unless you want to practice on a cheap piece about how to make kintsugi for your own you know, uh, attempts. Everything has its own fate, uh, just like people. Uh, so I, I neglect to uh, advise against that. But yes, um, there's an interesting book, Joy. I'm just going to walk over here. So for uh, somebody who doesn't know, Kintsugi is basically repair using gold. And you can see in the picture I'm showing right now, uh, this cup has been repaired uh, with an expert hand. This is not a novice doing this. Uh, this beautiful piece of pottery has been beautifully repaired with gold. Yes, it has. And... Um, a local lady um, who sometimes we ask to uh, do kintsugi just came out with this beautiful book. It's got a urushi cover, and it's like a sutra book, and it's bilingual, and it's about the history and how to do kintsugi. Um, it's called Kintsugi in the Cycle of Nature, a Meditation on Japanese Lacquer Arts. And her name is, oh, her, <laughs> thanks, Shimon. Yeah, world, thank you. <laughs> um, her name is Mio Heki. And uh, here's a photo of her. That's gorgeous. And it's it folds out according, accordion style, kind yeah, of it, like it, the temple books, right? Exactly, exactly. It's like a sutra book. Masterfully illustrated, beautifully um, photographed, and wonderful text. Oh, that's gorgeous. In both English and Japanese. So uh, this, there's two covers. This is a lacquer cover. And then there's one with uh, a cloth cover with the motif of a, of a lacquer tree leaf. Ooh. So anyway, Kintsugi is incredibly popular right now. Um, but you should let that all happen naturally. You don't want to interfere with the cycle of anything, uh, if that can be helped. Yeah, you let let the pottery break if it's its time. And exactly. And move from there. Uh, let's talk about the kawaii kanjiro piece that you were just showing, because you said that's one of the most significant pieces in the collection. Is that right? Yeah, let me go back. Um, Kawaii Kanjiro was, and still is, you know, because his spirit is alive. You can you can sense his spirit when you go visit his house. He's, I never met him because he passed away in eighteen uh, nineteen sixty six, and he was a very humble man. He was he was he he declined to be designated as a living treasure. You know, the Japanese government said, we want you to be a national treasure, and he politely declined. And I think one of the reasons was that um, it's too much of a burden for some people to have that responsibility because he wants to work. He wants, you know, to be kissed and dance with the muses every day. 
And if you take on that government designation, you're obligated to have, you know, a parade of visitors all, all the time. When do you work? You can't work. It has to be in the middle of the night. Um, uh, and he has a house in Kyoto called the Kawai Kanjiro House. And it's highly recommended for anybody who visits Kyoto, even though even if you're not interested in the ceramic art, but to see how one man's life was set up to revolve around his work. Uh, and um, an amazing artist, Kawai Kanjiro. I'm going to turn this around again. Hold on. Got this. The piece is beautiful. And you also introduced some of the sake cups, which are unusual because he wasn't a sake drinker. Is that right? He wasn't. And so they're very rare to come by. Um, four of them will be going to England and will probably end up in a museum. But he was a, a glaze master. Uh, even in college, he went to, you know, ceramic vocational school. He was known as a master of glazes, even in his early 20s. He did thousands and thousands of tests on different glazes. And one of his most famous is a cobalt blue, which you often see. And this one is called a doro hakeme. So um, he, uh, before he glazed it with the cobalt blue, he took this white liquid, liquid clay and kind of like finger painted on the top of the body. So that's where you get this relief texture from. And then he also used it um, with a slip trail, uh, um, this white glaze. But instead of just finger painting it on, he precisely drew a flower motif. It's kind of like a, a pixie or something out of Fantasia. It's like putting ice, icing on a cake. So you have this device, a tube, and then you just squeeze out the liquid clay. And this is one of his famous motifs on both sides. Uh, very alive. Gorgeous. Uh, he was amazing. I, I, I can't tell you how much in awe of him I am. And there's a, a book in English uh, that he wrote. It's called We Do Not Work Alone. You know, uh, so he was always drawing on higher energy. Uh, and he, he knew that his skill was, you know, important, but there were elements outside of your own ability, like what happens in the kiln, that bring a piece to, uh, you know, a first round exhibition or, you know, ends up in the shard pile. He also did, um, uh, in his early years, he did uh, replicas of ancient Chinese wares. Mm -hmm. And like from the Tang Dynasty, there's something called Nediage, which is a marbled effect. So this is an early Kawai Kanjiro bowl in that realm. That's gorgeous. And he also adopted, or his son-in-law took the Kauai name, and you have a piece of his work there, right? Right. Uh, this is one of them. His name is uh, Kawai Hirotsugu, and Kawai-san only had a daughter, so uh, the daughter married this gentleman. He became a Yoshi, or an adopted son, and worked in the Kauai style. Uh, and um, he has three daughters, and they are all running the Kawai family house right now. So the family had wonderful foresight to keep the house just as it was when he lived there. So when you walk into the house, there's basically nothing that's been changed. You expect Kawai Kanjiro to return in a couple of minutes after he goes, you know, buy a pack of tofu or something. 
So uh, this is the sun. Also made some wonderful work. Uh, I'm just trying to see if there's any others in my sight right now. But this is the only one I can see that he made. Kawaii Hirotsugu. And it has a little rope on the top here, so you could actually hang this on your wall. Nice. And yeah. I think you have an, a bowl um, on the upper upper level as well. Is that from Kawaii? Um, well, different colors. Uh, this one. I'm sorry to go so fast. Mm. No, it might be in the back. Uh, some of the pieces. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, this is a in in Kawaii Kanjiro's later years. He was doing this tricolor uh, ink splash, a glaze splash, kind of like a action painting. So it's a, it's red and green and, and black. Sometimes it comes a, a brownish color. Yeah, I'm showing and, it on screen right now. I got it from your Instagram live. Okay, thank yeah. you. Beautiful. An ink stone. So if you happen to be a practitioner of shodo calligraphy, you might want a ink stone. Yeah, that's. And then you know another interesting uh, couple of pieces in the collection are these two slab bizen plates with this stick figure on it and they were made by a man named jb blunk b-l-u-n-k and jb blunk was the first foreign apprentice of the kanishige and most likely in bizen of all time so he knew noguchi and rosanji and there's a, a neat photo of him that you can find on google images of J.B. Blunk with Rosanjin and Noguchi in the 1950s. So uh, Noguchi introduced J.B. Blunk to Kaneshige Toyo, and uh, J.B. Blunk became his apprentice. Very minimalistic, um, primitive uh, type of uh, slab. So th this, these might return to the J.B. Blunk Foundation. We're not sure yet. That's really interesting. Um, there's a lot of males, of men in the series, but you had a really interesting two-neck piece from a female artist. Yes. Haka Izu Toshiko, is that right? That is correct. So I just happened to have this book here about Takeizu Toshiko. And let me put the camera down and reverse it again. Ooh, look at that. Um, she was, I don't know her exact bio, but she worked out of Hawaii. And that's her spelling of her name. And in the 1950s, she too came to Japan and um, worked at the Kaneshige family kiln. It's kind of like that. Um, and she was an incredibly talented ceramic artist making these kind of, uh, I don't know, not cylindrical, but um, like a dongle, uh, elongated dongle. And so uh, in the collection, there is that piece that was slightly damaged, uh, not when we, not because of us, but somewhere down the road. And so there's a couple of kintsugi piece uh, repairs on it. Unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, the piece has been packed and is going off to a client who actually wrote the book. Oh, wow. So that's, that's really exciting, isn't it? 
That's very exciting. And the other exciting thing, Joy, is that Monico found another one. So there's still boxes in the garage that she's still opening. So I'm going to get, hopefully, uh, the other Takeizu Toshiko work. Let me see if I can find a photo of her in Bizen. I don't want to take too much time just flipping through the book. No, there's not many photos of her. But um, you can obviously go online and find her name. An incredibly important connection between the East and West in the 20th century. Uh, in, uh, I, I never met her. Uh, and it's the first piece I've actually held by her from the Hoshitada collection. But I've always been a fan of her, of her work. Just gorgeous forms and glazes. So yeah, that's that's a neat piece, and that's hopefully, really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, like I said, I'll be getting a another one in the coming weeks. Now, some of the other mysteries, uh, for example, there was a coffee cup by a Potter who never his family never knew he ever made a coffee cup. Yeah, I did, yeah that's the Kanashige Toyo. So um, I've, I've never seen one. They've never seen one. So. The, the theory is that, because Yasko was an amateur potter, she, she made jewelry. Um, and and um, the theory is that Toyo was showing her how to put a handle on a piece. So, you know, it's a coffee cup with a handle. Um, but it's the, only, it's the only one anybody's ever seen. Yeah, so interesting. Um, so you have some of the pieces in this collection, which are for sale, for private sales. And they all are. Oh, they all are. So yeah. even the ones going to the museums. Yeah. I'm representing the collection from my gallery. That's wonderful. It's, it's so interesting how you make all these connections to potters and the families in Japan, but you're also making connections to galleries and dealers and collectors around the world, right? Appears to be. <laughs> uh, there was an interesting Funaki Kenji plate with a bird on it. Yeah, so, yeah, um, I do. And the reason the reason I, I, I asked to get this is because on the back, it says Funaki Michitada, who was Kenji's father, and his pieces are very rare. And so I thought this um, designation was correct. Isn't that cute? <laughs> so such a variety in styles in this collection. Yeah, so this is a Minge family um, down in Shimane. And so I contacted Kenji's son because in the photographs that um, I was sent, there's a photo of Kan uh, Funaki Kenji uh, and another potter named Takeuchi Seichiro in an exhibition that Yasuko uh, took. And um, I was calling the family to verify that this was actually made by Funaki Michitada. But the son of Kenji, I'm sorry, I forget his name offhand, but he said, no, no, that's my father's work. It's not my grandfather. So, so they were not, they thought it was somebody, 
but it turns out to be uh, somebody else, of course, of the same family. But um, he was known for drawing different uh, animals and birds on plates. Nice. Funaki Kenji. And yeah. The other plate that you had, I think, next to it, Shimaoka Tatsuzo, is it? Yeah, yeah. Shimaoka Tatsuzo was a great ambassador of, of clay uh, in the, from 1970 on until his passing around 2006. Um, he traveled to the United States to visit um, the, the uh, Yasuko's family. So I talked to Shimoka's daughter uh, a couple of months ago, trying to find out more of the connections between the family. And she said, yeah, you know, um, when, when, two, when 311 hit, uh, Shimoka was in New York. Uh, he was supposed to give a lecture at the Japan Society. And so, of course, the world was turned upside down and, and Yasuko-san was in New York at that time and was very, very concerned about his well-being and taking care of him. So she really looked after him. And the daughter said that, you know, Shimoka was eternally thankful for that. Uh, Shimoka Tatsuzo was Hamada Shoji's number one uh, apprentice. He went on to be designated as a living national treasure for his Minge folk craft, but in particular, his use of rope cords uh, that he rolled onto his work that looked like ancient Jomon pottery. And the connection between Jomon and his work is that his father was a cord maker. So he and Hamada always said, find a motif that you can put on your pot to identify it. That's kind of your signature because you can't sign the pieces. Although in the end, uh, Shimoka did stamp a lot of his work with ta, the katakana for ta, uh, uh, hiragana for ta, maybe after Yanagi died and was no longer to be the, uh, you know, um, Minge Police Academy there or whatever. So um, you want, I'll, I'll go get the, well, I'll walk you over again. Let's go take another walk. Sounds good. Uh, you also have a couple, like, it looks like a ceramic bottle or a little uh, pot that's made, I think, by Shimoka-san. Yeah, Shimoka is the most, um, most represented in the collection. Uh, b because he was, you know, lived longer uh, and worked, uh, obviously, more. So Yasuko-san uh, went and visited him quite a lot. This is a very pure example of that Jomon rope design. So uh, when the cl clay is still wet, uh, he would roll um, these cords over and then fill in the lines with white clay. Uh, here's another example of a Shimoka plate. And then these beautiful little bottles. He also uh, did lots of red and green uh, enamel overglaze. And you can even see the cords on these sake flasks. A little subtle on that one. And beautiful ash glaze uh, with a salt glaze here. So these are rope cords. And they're basically on all of his work, this lovely, you know me, a smaller sake cup celebrating his 77th birthday, and then another small bottle. 
And the yes. glaze, the glaze colors are so bright and beautiful. Yeah, so various, varying. Yeah, he was a master and a great teacher. Many of his apprentices are now uh, well regarded around the world. His number one apprentice is a name man named Matsuzaki Ken, who has a worldwide following. Shows in uh, New York, uh, Boston, and in the UK a lot. Uh, one of the first uh, potters that I wrote about in the my Japan Times column a long time ago, Matsuzaki Ken, and and Shimoka, even though he had you know, apprentices. He, it was like a workshop, basically. Uh, uh, but he would always answer the phone himself. You know, I, I would call him up and I needed a box or, you know, get an exhibition catalog. And he was always just the gentleman on the phone. A real, yeah. real uh, gentleman country potter. A country <laughs> gentleman potter, yeah. Now, can you mention a little bit about the boxes? Because when I visited you, you talked about how important that is for yeah. authenticity and how some of these things, some of these pieces do not have boxes, but the family of the artist is willing to do a box that's signed and you can do a certification. Is that right? That's correct. So, for example, this is a beautiful and um, classic Hamada Shoji teacup, and his motif was a sugar millet. Um, but it doesn't have a box. Um, and the family will, uh, first they look at it. You know, each family is different. Each family has their own policy. The Hamada family will charge you uh, just to look at the piece because everybody wants to think they own a Hamada. And if, if the family just looked at it, you know, they'd be wasting a lot of hours every day. And then if the piece is authentic, they'll charge you um, a certain amount to sign the box. And the person signing the box now is Hamada's son, who's in his 90s. So that's not going to last a whole lot longer than the grandson will sign it. Uh, the, the Kawaii family is the same. So uh, this piece, these pieces do not have boxes. Um, but I've taken them, you know, and I, I can pretty much tell myself. But it's nice to have a family member... Uh, uh, do the box writing and you know you get further down away from the original maker the price kind of drops a little bit as well so now after kawaii kanjido passed away his wife signed the boxes then the wife passed away and the daughter signed the boxes the daughter passed away and now the husband of one of the granddaughters signs the boxes who is the director of the museum wow so the piece, the piece it's itself obviously is the same, yeah. but the value is somewhat decreased the farther you get away from the original person's box. Yeah, and I didn't know that. But I think that has carried over to Japanese culture, uh, respecting the box that uh, products come in, don't you think? I see that a lot here. Well, packaging everything. I mean, even if you go to the, you know, the department store, uh, you know, a, a couple of sticks of dango are, are pretty well packaged. So presentation is very important. But, you know, with the boxes, too, they serve a purpose because um, a lot of this art was uh, rotated according to the seasons. And so you would want something to put it in to, to protect it as well um, and, and to authenticate it, you know, because there are fakes, you know, replicas of these artists um, and so, you know, the, the artist wants to make sure that down history, that their work is known as theirs and not a copy. Although there are copies of uh, Kawaii Kanjiro boxes and Hamada Shoji boxes. So 
um, yeah, be careful. <laughs> it's a tricky world. So you have to find a respected uh, and trustworthy dealer to, um, to associate yourself with, uh, you know, and. Um, Definitely. Uh, someone like you who knows the business and knows the artists. Uh, we have a comment from Molly in the U.S. She says, as a potter, I've always admired the time and patience it takes to create some of the patterns and designs of Japanese pottery. Wonderful. Incredible. So um, I know we're kind of approaching the end, but today on Instagram, I put a photo of this giant Kutani platter and wow. talking about talking about the time and effort it makes to create the patterns, this is an ajiro uh, weaving pattern. You usually see these on the roofs of uh, skia-style um, uh, dwellings, you know, very tea house style. So each one of these lines is hand-drawn, and it oh goes God. into various gradations of color. Uh, Kutani is one of the great porcelains of Japan, and it has... Um, five pigment colors that they're known for. And this man's grandfather uh, was one of the uh, great innovators of Kutani pigments. And he kept a secret code book. You know, all of these pigment recipes were in code. And um, he would not share these. So when you look at uh, pieces from the Tokuda family, uh, they're pretty easily recognizable. And he told his grandson, when you know you become a potter take these recipes and keep them safe and hidden because if you have the recipes for these pigments you'll never go hungry wow look how precise and beautifully balanced that design is it must have taken an eternity there must be imperfect versions out there somewhere uh, uh if they are they're probably in the shard pile Wow. Perfectionists, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody just commented, Richard. Yeah. Phil Rogers was a great um, ambassador as well. Uh, he unfortunately passed away recently. Um, and I was in touch with him a few times. Yeah. So Phil Rogers was a British potter. Uh, Richard just commented who made his own wonderful pottery and was a great, great champion of uh, sharing the beauty of Hamada Shoji. So thank you for that comment, Richard. Yeah. Are there any other pieces outside of this wonderful collection that we haven't talked about you'd like to touch on? Um, we have about three more minutes. <laughs> yeah. So another odd style um, is from Sado Island. Oh, I love Sado Island. I haven't been yet, but I, I've seen so many amazing pictures. Yeah, I've never been either, and I always want to go to the uh, Earth Festival there with the, the yeah. Kodo drumming. But there's a family there named the Ito family, and uh, there are five generations. They're going to be six generations, and uh, they're known for their black and red smoked work. Look at that. That's and uh, I, I have a really big piece in the other room, but this is easy, easier to show. And this was named by... I'm sorry, made by a man named Ito Seksui, who is a fifth generation and was designated a living national treasure for his, it's called Mumyoyaki. And it's kind of a rare style. So we'll end on rarity. Yeah. I, and 
I talked to, I think we talked about this the first time and when I visited your studio as well, um, how the prices are not cheap, um, but you talked about how even cheaper pottery that you might find in some places you find a connection to, that it's finding a connection to different pieces. It's not only about the price or the value or the famous person who made it, that there's some kind of deeper connection to the pieces. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, it, it, you know, if you, if you only look at something, um, that's why in my gallery, nothing is labeled. You know, everything is marked uh, somewhere on the base, but I want people to, to come here and, and look with their heart, not their knowledge. Um, and yeah, uh, pottery, you, you, you can find great pieces for, 15, 20 dollars, you know, 2,000, 3,000 yen. There are many artists making incredible, beautiful, functional work. And then on the other side, the flip side, there are well-known people who've had a long career and their work is incredibly expensive, but no thank you, it's not for me. It's not the name, it's not the price, it's something how you connect with it, how you want to live with it. And yeah, okay, so you'll spend maybe um, a couple hundred dollars, uh, uh, you know, two, 20, 30, 40,000 yen on a teacup or a sake cup, but you're gonna treasure it all your life. You know, people spend that on clothes and shoes and you know, they don't think twice about it, but this is something, you know, that you you become intimate with. You know, it enriches your daily life on many levels, not only just the viewing of it, but functional pieces as it nourishes your body and your spirit. And in the long run, uh, that's going to be worth every penny that you bought, uh, that you put into this piece that you will cherish your whole life. And the beautiful thing is too, somebody else in the future will as well. Uh, you know, our human conditions and, and environments change, but we all need a drink. We all like to look at flowers. And, you know, a lot of people like to live with various art forms, sculptural. So, you know, you look at a 12,000, 13,000 year old Jomon pot and it moves you today. You know, what do people live with today that's going to move the spirit of another human? Basically, same conditions of being a human. Maybe things will change with what surrounds us. But the mystery of life and, and the beauty of, of daily living is, is will never change. Uh, we, we all want to hold something to, to put our food in and our, 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 our liquids in. Um, and those are the moments in, in my life, these simple moments that bring me great joy. Joy. Wonderful. That's a wonderful place to leave it for today. And I, I would love to have you back every time you have a new collection that you'd like to introduce. I would love to have these talks with you more regularly. It's such a fascinating dive into Japanese heritage and culture and art and connection, not only around Japan, but also around the world. So it's so fantastic. Thank you so much, Robert. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on your show. Be well, everybody. Play safe. Kansha always. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.